Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Good morning, church. Happy third Advent Sunday to you. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. We are continuing our Advent series where we're zooming in on the different characters of Luke's Christmas story, Luke's nativity story. We've heard about Elizabeth, Mary, and Zachariah, and so now we've come to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn there with me. You'll find that we're zooming in now on the shepherds and the angels. So instead of looking at specific family members of Jesus, we're looking at these two unnamed groups of people. Quite a contrast, I think, the shepherds and the angels. I'm going to ask you today to have a bit of an imagination as we think about this very familiar story. So I hope you've got some imagination left, all you adults. Um, Let's go ahead and read the passage. Start with me in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. We'll stop right there. The angels, I think, are often brushed over a bit in our nativity imagination. Maybe we think of them as these large, glowing characters, a bit of a holy robot. Uh, Maybe they don't really have a personality of their own. They come and they do their job and then they leave. But this actually isn't the first time we've read about angels here in Luke. Of course, we have met Gabriel, an angel whose name we, we know, who delivers messages personally to Elizabeth, Mary, and Zechariah. Um, But he's been in the background a bit while we've focused on the human characters. So now I want to bring these angels to the foreground. Um, I think imagining ourselves as angels, imagining the nativity story from their perspective might give us a fresh experience of this moment when heavenly and earthly history collide with the birth of Jesus. So who are the angels after all? What does the Bible tell us about who angels are? Well, they're described as sinless divine beings, and because they're sinless, they've got direct access to God. I mean, heaven is their current reality. Just imagine, I mean, heaven, they they know God personally, and they're able to experience his immediate, unfiltered presence, his glory. They're also depicted as warriors. I mean, like the the NLT version said I just read, the host is, is an army. They're warriors. They're often depicted with swords. They do battle, both in the spiritual realm and also sometimes coming to help humans. They're also given authority over different parts of the world. So these are definitely not cute, chubby babies floating around with wings and playing the harp or something. These are serious. They look like they could be dangerous. They could be dangerous. They're very powerful. 
Um, they also don't have wings, <laughs> okay? It, it appears from what we can read in other parts of the Bible that they look kind of like humans, but somehow more impressive. And of course, they carry this presence, the glory of God with them. So Gabriel, the only angel in Luke's nativity um, who we, we know by name, called out by name, interestingly enough, shows up in the Bible 500 years earlier uh, to Daniel. You can read about him in the book of Daniel around chapter 6. This is when Daniel has a series of very odd visions, strange dreams, and he, Daniel's very disturbed by these dreams and is not sure how to interpret them. Gabriel comes to help him understand what he has been saying and to encourage him. Part of one of these visions is of a king who will be like the Son of Man, but whose kingdom will be eternal and will never end. So this, I think, is amazing. The angels know that God has a plan to rescue people, to rescue his loyal people and to restore humanity to a rightful relationship with God, with himself and with each other. But of course, the angels are not God themselves. They, don't, they know that God's got this plan and that he's going to unfold it in the right time, but they don't know what that time is. There's a, a little comment in 1 Peter that the angels long to look into these things. They long to desire this, uh, to know more about the mystery of the timing of God's perfect plan. Um, so just imagine, Gabriel was with Daniel 500 years before. He gets to be the one to deliver the news to the characters in the Bible, this Elizabeth, Zechariah, and Mary. Perhaps he's there now with the shepherds. Do you think he would have been kind of solemnly serious? Or would he be absolutely ecstatic and elated, bubbling with excitement? Like, wow, the time is now. God is doing it. He's fulfilling those prophecies of old. This is unbelievable. God is coming. Just imagine for a minute being in God's unfiltered presence and uninhibited glory face to face with him in his infinite complexity, and then witnessing the second person of the Trinity, the Son Jesus, leave the throne room to be born in Bethlehem quietly and modestly. The angels are the only beings in this story to actually witness God's descent from the throne room to Mary's womb. They saw what that beautiful poem in Philippians 2 describes so well, that Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. No wonder then that the messenger the angel, by the way, that's what angel means. Angel, the word just means messenger, comes with good news of great joy. They've witnessed this humbling. C.S. Lewis wrote that joy is the serious business of heaven. And it's no coincidence that joy is found here in the same breath as Jesus coming, which is humanity's salvation. Joy and salvation often go together. Um, I think of when my husband Adam was baptized just before we were married. He told us uh, the next day that the night of his baptism, he woke up a couple of times laughing in his sleep. 
I love that. It was like something bubbling inside him, something that had reached deeper than like his conscious mind. Something was rooted. The joy of the Lord was getting rooted into him after his relationship with God was restored and then sealed with baptism. I like to think of the angels, of course, singing with joy while Adam wakes up laughing with joy after that experience. Elsewhere in scripture, we learn that angels do. They sing for joy when even just one lost person turns to God. So imagine how momentous the incarnation is that a whole host of angels suddenly sing for joy. They've been confidently waiting for this moment when the creator becomes created to rescue his people from the inside. He becomes the gate through which anyone can be reconciled and they are bubbling over. Remember, angels are warriors, and a host of angels is an army. So when the shepherds there in the night watching over their sheep get a glimpse of the heavenly dimension, they see a large, powerful army of God's messengers bursting forth in genuine praise to God because their commander, Jesus is their commander, their commander is coming to do battle for humanity. That description of the coming Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9 that calls Jesus the Prince of Peace, that word prince can also be translated as commander or leader or chief. So he is the commander of peace. But of course, he doesn't take his army with him. A tip for your Advent celebrations today is to actually listen to Vivaldi's Gloria, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. It's a grand, powerful uh, piece of music, and I think it effectively captures this picture of the darkness ripping open and the shepherds being face-to-face with the glory of God and this army of angels who have the potential to be dangerous because they're so powerful, but they come with news of great joy. Vivaldi's um, piece of music, I think, more effectively captures it than that other popular Christmas carol that says, Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. <laughs> I can't believe I just sung on camera, but, but that sweetly singing bit, I, I don't think that's it. I don't think they were sweetly singing. I think they were powerfully, almost dangerous, it almost felt dangerous declaring that God is glorious, glory to God in the highest. And the second part of their refrain there, glory to God in the highest, uh, because it means peace on earth. That's the second part. Glory to God, peace on earth, to those with whom God is pleased. There's no peace without glory to God. You can't separate those two. Of course, here we are in secular Sweden, where many Christian traditions remain without God, without his powerful personal presence. There are examples of joy, hope, and peace everywhere without God. I saw an SVT play. play. Uh, They have a a Christmas countdown with different artists singing uh, the songs they like. And the description on SVT says that this is meant to bring hope. This is meant to spread hope in these dark, challenging times we're living in. and I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's nice, that's cozy, spreading a little of, of, of hopeful, warm feelings. Or maybe you are aware of this Swedish cultural icon, Ernst. Uh, he's got a program, Jul med Ernst. Uh, I actually love Ernst, okay? So even though I'm going to say something a bit negative here, I, I love Ernst. This is coming from a warm place. He's, if you don't know who he is, he's 
Sweden's manly Martha Stewart. Okay, Sweden's answer to Martha Stewart. He's just as comfortable with an axe as he is with a paintbrush, as he is stirring a pot of soup in the kitchen. And he's got four programs to count down to Christmas, showing different crafts and different Christmas dishes you can make. It's all very cozy. He's extremely comforting and warm, grounded presence. And he invites the viewers just to invite Christmas in Make a wreath, put it on your door. It's going to be so cozy because it's Christmas time. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas is here. Let Christmas in. Um, so it's interesting because, okay, sure, you need to let Christmas in, but what are you letting in exactly? His reasoning is so circular. Uh, we celebrate Christmas for Christmas for Christmas. That's nice. Um, and traditions are great. They can ground us, but I wonder after Christmas is over, Asked, after your program ends, what happens then? Well, the calendar turns from 2020 to 2021, and all of our problems of this year turn into the problems of next year. Doesn't matter how cozy of a time we had or didn't have on Christmas. As Christians, then, in some ways, we play the angel's role now, pointing toward the peace to be had today because God gets the glory. The angels say peace to those with whom God is pleased. In other words, his people. Jesus' peace, God's peace he brings, isn't just a blanket statement or like a blanket of snow that covers all the earth. It's not a spell to be cast. Uh, In fact, when someone becomes a believer and they experience this peace between God and themselves, many times they experience less peace in their daily life with those around them who are not Christians. And in fact, we are to expect this. Many of you perhaps have experienced real persecution because of your faith, which doesn't feel like peace at all. But of course, we count that as gain for the peace of being in right relationship with our Creator. And I want to remind us today that as a community of believers, we're called to live in unity and peace with each other, not with the world. I'm aware, of course, that some of you right now may be living in circumstances that feel anything but peaceful. I can say also my family personally is currently experiencing some very difficult situations and we don't always feel at peace. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian and pastor who wrote from a German prison where he was later executed for Nazi resistance. Uh, It was Christmas time, and he was writing letters to his friends and family about Advent and Christmas. And in one letter, he writes, Life in a prison cell may well be compared to Advent. One waits, hopes, and does this, that, or the other. Things that are really of no consequence. The door is shut and can only be opened from the outside. That's quite a different picture of Advent, the lead-up to Christmas, than Yulma Ernst and the cozy Christmas countdown. Some of you maybe relate more to this. You feel stuck or anxious or depressed or like whatever you're doing is just a grind. And your efforts maybe amount to at most one-dimensional peace. You can only get a moment of peace and it still doesn't feel feel whole or foundational. In some ways, that was the mindset of the Jews who were waiting for their Messiah over 2,000 years ago. They were also just kind of moving along with the daily grind, waiting, and it felt like the door was shut, couldn't be opened by them. It was only God who can open it from the outside. And that's right. Of course, without God's real personal intervention, there is no real peace. 
Some of us today, I think, need to pursue his peace. It's available to you, but you must both accept it, submit to God, and spend time with him to access it. As I said, it's not a spell to be put under. Um, It's not either you're denying your circumstances. It's not like putting your hands over your ears and going, la, 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 oh, peace, peace, peace. I live in a peace bubble. That's not it at all. In fact, that's what I think is so powerful about the Christian confession of faith and the Bible. The Bible is very realistic about human circumstances. It's very realistic that life is hard and terrible sometimes and that humans have such a capacity for evil and that oftentimes our circumstances are just downright terrible. So you don't have to say, oh, it's fine, peace, peace to me. Instead, it's the opposite. It's being honest with yourself and with God about your circumstances. It's a relentless surrendering. Sometimes it's not enough to pray about something one time. Something our, sometimes our burdens and our circumstances are so heavy that we have to keep going back to God in prayer, wrestling with him about it. Tell him how you really feel. Do you do that or do you kind of push him to the side? Do you let your worries reign in your life? Or do you let the Prince Commander of Peace, Jesus, reign? It's easy when life is hectic to deprioritize time with God. But that's usually a sign that that's the time that you need to press in more. What did the shepherds do when the angel had made their announcement after they had seen this divine joy filling the heavens? Let's keep reading as we close today. Verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So I think this is a great parallel for how we are to respond when we are pursuing the peace of God. The shepherds went to see Jesus. They went to get close to him. They made it personal. And then after they had had that personal experience, they told people and they joined the angels in worship. Interestingly enough, these shepherds weren't just any shepherds. They were likely raising lambs to be sacrificed in the temple at Passover. These lambs would have been under strict protocol uh, to be spotless and pure so that they would be accepted as the temple sacrifice. When they were waiting to be inspected to make sure they were good enough, they would be wrapped in cloths and put in stone feeding troughs, also known as a manger, to await inspection. It makes sense then that the sign from the angels for these shepherds is a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a feeding trough. The message, just as much a mystery and a wonder then as now, God, mightiest, highest, uncreated being, commander of peace, now lowly, humble, born, the perfect lamb. I'm praying for you today for a fresh sense of wonder at the incarnation 
and a personal presence of peace for you as you join the angels and the shepherds in singing glory to God in the highest.